Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning and uh, Happy New Year. I, I know we've already got one Sunday into the new year, but I, I missed that one. Uh, Steve Freeman did a great job last week, didn't he? I know a lot of you were here to uh, hear him. Very grateful for his ministry with us uh, last Sunday. Karen and I got to go and be with our family. We, we spent the first part of right, like first part of Christmas. We were with. Uh, my parents and my two sisters and then all, all of our families, 27 of us all, all together with my parents. That was, I, and I, I pitched in 13 of the 27, so <laughs> did my part. Uh, but we had a wonderful time with them, and then we, that was more northern Colorado, and one of our sons, Colin, is at Fort Carson, Colorado Springs, more southern Colorado, so we went down there and were there for New Year and got to see where he was living and his post and got to go to church with him last week. Our whole family, we had a, we had a wonderful time, but certainly glad to be back here with you. Folks, there are so many things uh, going on right here in the in the start of the year. That's not unusual, right? Uh, but at our church, want to encourage you to take a starting point. If you're brand new to our church or been going here all your life, I know we have a class starting this hour that you don't want to get up and go now, but there's there's some Wednesday night opportunities, some Sunday afternoon opportunities. It's just a small three-hour investment, and you will so incredibly feel like you understand this body of Christ and how you get engaged in it. So really want to encourage that. Tomorrow, uh, we start 21 days of prayer. Uh, you can download this, a PDF, if you want. Or if you'd like a hard copy, uh, at the end of the service, you can go out here. I encourage you. Karen and I had a, a good time. Uh, I forgot, what was it? Friday night, Saturday night, we went out to dinner. Because, you know, that's what you do when you're about to fast. Uh, but we went out to dinner and just kind of mapped out what we're going to be praying for and how we're going to use this time. You know, whether you're doing that as an individual, a couple, a family. I, you know, when we do that, we do it all together, though, as a church. And that, that's the big thing, is that we're coming back here each Sunday, and we're praying about the same things, we're, we're reading the same things. So I really want to encourage you to grab a hold of this. Uh, you can also go online and get involved in the Bible reading plan. We're reading through the New Testament. Very short time commitment in your life, but here again how God can move and work, not just in one of us, but in all of us when we're, when we're reading the same things. So want to encourage you to, to jump on these. My, my sermon series is going to be kind of working in concert a bit uh, this month with all this that's, that's going on. So man, ask God what he has for you in this and, and jump on board with all of it. So speaking of prayer and, and calling out to God, do you want God's help? Yeah. I mean, that's, Silly question, isn't it, to ask a group of church people if they want God's help? I mean, by and large, we're a group of people who believe there's a God, right? And we not only believe there's a God, we believe there's a kind God, a good God, a God who would help us, who offers that to us. We also know, I think there's like some relationship between me being here at church and tapping into that help. And so to, I mean, that's why we're sitting here, right? Because I, I need God's help. 
And so to ask that group of people, do you want God's help, would seem unnecessary. And yet, I've been a, a follower of Christ for a little over 40 years now. Over, a little over 40 years ago, I asked Jesus to be my, my Savior and Lord. I trusted Him for the forgiveness of my sins, for eternal life, to make me a child of God. I trust in Christ and His work for me on the cross to make me a person where I look forward to standing before God one day and being found righteous. Over 40 years ago, I trusted in Christ for that. And uh, 32 of those 40 years, I've, I've been in the ministry. Uh, almost all of those 40 years, I've been a daily reader of God's Word, of the Bible. And yet, after all of that, just this past month or two, back November, I think, early November, I mean, wham! This spiritual insight. That, that I've never grasped, never gotten a hold of after all these years. You know, and when I say a spiritual insight, I don't mean to imply like I, I didn't even know this was there. No, I, I, you know, I guess it's like when the dots get connected for you. Have you had that experience? I know this dot, and I know this dot, and I know this dot, and I know this one, but then all of a sudden, something, someone kind of helps bring them all together, and it just... Wow, there it is. I see it. I see it all together in a kind of a new and a profound way. And it's not a little thing. I'd love to say it's a little thing buried deep in some corner of the Bible. Maybe you need it. Maybe. No, I think it's kind of a big thing. A really big thing. When maybe so many of my prayers, maybe so many of your prayers, are actually me asking God to keep me from or to get me out of the very place he's trying to get me. Now, that, that would seem to be that my prayers, maybe, maybe yours, are actually working in contradiction with God. Are actually working against where, where God is going and what God is doing in my life. Now, where, where is that place that God is trying to get me? And you. Helplessness. Helplessness. Have you ever felt helpless? I mean, I would have to assume that we'd have a hundred percent yes there, here, here in the room, watching online. We're all going to say, yeah, I've, I've felt helpless. Now, our experience with helplessness would be very different, right? Some of us have just dabbled in it. You know, we've had a spot here, a place there, a situation there, felt kind of helpless, got it resolved, got out quick. Maybe some others of us would say, man, I feel like I've live the bulk of my life in helplessness. So we'd be very varied in our experience with helplessness, but very universal, and we would all say, I felt helpless. And I would imagine we would also all say, and I don't want to feel that way, right? I don't want to feel helpless. And when I do feel that way, I'm going to do what I can as fast as I can to no longer feel that way, to no longer be in that, that place. But if that's the place God's trying to get me, then that would seem I need to be owning the places of helplessness in my life. I, I, I need to be finding those. And I, I, I don't have to create helplessness, but I, I, when they come, I need to own them. And I, man, I need to be looking for those. And you know, that dawned on me as I thought about that. I, I don't often feel helpless. 
I, I really don't. Now, when I say that, please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I'm not saying I accomplish whatever I set my mind to, that I can do whatever I would like to do. No, just like you got places of brokenness, places of frustration, frustration, anger, a variety of emotions where I can't make something what I want it to be, what it should be. I can't fix, resolve that problem. I got that just like you. But what do we do to keep from going insane We manage the expectations. We just learn to live with it. I just learn it's just not going to be, she's not going to be what I want. And so we, we learn to manage it. You know, some of, some of us have gotten really good at managing misery and pain. As a matter of fact, Jesus asked somebody once, do you want help? And do you know why? Because sometimes our misery and pain is our identity. Oh, we talk all the time how we want help and we want that. We don't. We don't want help. We don't want it fixed. I wouldn't know who I was. I wouldn't know what to do if I wasn't operating out of my misery and pain. So we just, you know, we bring the expectation down. We realize what we can and can't do and we begin to manage life from that. And I, I imagine a lot of you with this life I manage, I absolutely pray. Hey, God... I've got this, but if you want to come make any of it, you know, richer, faster, prettier, better, please do. Right? I mean, hey, God, anything you want to bring to the table, I'll take it. But, shh. Here's our little secret. Our plan is to manage and go forward whether God shows up or not. Because we don't actually trust him for anything we can't do without him. Think on that. That, That's a... Let me say it another way. You don't trust God for anything. That's a big statement to me. Sorry. (laughs) I'll get over it. You don't trust God for anything that only God can do. You trust God for what you can do and what you plan on doing going forward. If he shows up, man, that's awesome. If he doesn't, I wasn't really expecting it anyway. Now that is some big accusations for me to make about you. Maybe not entirely fair, but let me show you someone. I want to compare your life and my life to somebody who is trusting on God for what only God can do, who is genuinely helpless. And I would look at this person and look at you and me and say, that's, that's not where we are. That, that's not where we're living and operating from, helplessness. Would you turn with me today to Matthew chapter 15? Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look at a story that I have always struggled with. All of my Bible reading years, I've always struggled with this story because Jesus is weird in this story. Um, that sounds a bit blasphemous, doesn't it? That's, what's a better word than weird that means the same thing? Peculiar. Y'all don't mind if I say Jesus is peculiar, do you? Jesus is, what do I mean by that? We're going to see Jesus treat somebody in a way that I don't think there's any other story in the Bible that he treats somebody this way. And it's not just different. It, it feels like, it seems like quite a contradiction to how we would normally expect Jesus to treat somebody and respond 
to somebody. And I've always struggled with that. I've read this story, and I do probably what you do. I trust Jesus, and I know he's good, and I don't understand what he's doing here, so I just read right on and pretend like I didn't notice it. Well, let's just go ahead and see what we're talking about here. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Usually we just keep right on reading, right? You know what that just said? She's crying, she's hurting, and Jesus didn't even acknowledge her. He didn't acknowledge that he'd heard her voice. He didn't acknowledge that he had seen her. Does that seem nice to you? Didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. So he finally answers. And he says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Fortunately for you and me, that's kind of religious and high sounding. What he basically just said to her is, I ain't here for you. Now I almost wish he had just kept ignoring me. You imagine Jesus looking at somebody and saying, I'm not here for you. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I think he just called her a dog. I think in this illustration, she's, she's the dog. Okay, now I'm confident that's not nice. I don't know if I didn't understand the statement before, but there's no way that's nice. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see what I'm saying about this being kind of a a peculiar, not weird, a peculiar passage? I mean, for seven out of eight verses, and it's not a long story, and I would imagine if we were watching it in real time, I would imagine it happened pretty quickly. And so, you know, we get to the end real quickly. All's well that ends well, right? But then you've got these first seven out of eight verses where... I just, I just don't see Jesus acting like this anywhere else. I mean, this woman comes out to him crying. There, there's a, a desperate situation. I mean, well, severe's the word used, right? Severe. There's a severe situation and it's demon oppression. I'm glad it's demon oppression. I'm glad for you and me today it's demon oppression that is happening right here. Because I think most of us would acknowledge that this is a situation where there's nowhere else to go, right? I mean, Jesus is it. Jesus is, that's that's all we've got. Because you and I have other places to go. If it's a financial, a relational, a health, just list the problems. We have other places to go. Yes, I'm going to go to God first because that's what I do. And I'm going to pray about it. But boy, the moment I say amen, I'm pressing on. And I'm not waiting to hear whether God speaks. As a matter of fact, I kind of assume he's not going to speak. So I, I press on and I go and I start, you know, I get on the phone with a friend so that I can gossip, whine, cry, beg, process, ask for wisdom. I'm going to go work my network. I got a network of friends, a network of associates. They've got abilities. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the doctor. 
I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to, I'm going to start trying to get some answers here. I'm going to turn to, I mean, we got a whole list of things we go to. And, and that, I'm not saying those things are bad. I, the things I just called out, I'm not necessarily saying those are bad things. But do you see, when even when you and I are praying, even when you and I are saying that we're depending upon God, boy, the moment we say amen, we're going to the places we depend. We're going to where we're going to go work this out. Where is she going to go? There's nowhere else. This, I don't have anything else. It's you and it's you alone. You're all out. There's no one to call. There's no one to, to reach out to. There's no test to take. There's nothing else. She's crying out to the God of all mercy for mercy. And he doesn't even acknowledge her. Now, the next thing we see is the disciples. That's probably the only time stamp here we don't have. You know, as I read this story, it looked like this would have unfolded in three, four minutes, right? What we don't know is from that moment that, that Jesus is not acknowledging her to the moment that the disciples say, would you get rid of her? We don't know how much time took place in there. It, it might have been 30 seconds. It might have been 10 minutes. We don't know. But I imagine, I mean, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I see what the disciples are doing. I imagine as she begins to process the reality that Jesus is clearly not going to look at her or acknowledge her. Well, hey, if the boss man ain't going to look at me, what am I going to do? I'm going to run to the associates. And so she starts running up. Would you get them to look at me? Hey, would you tell them what's going on? Hey, this is what's happening with my daughter. And she's trying to get somebody's attention. Hey, if he won't listen to me, maybe he'll listen to you. Would you go and speak on my behalf? And this is clearly unnerving them. And they say, Jesus, would you get rid of her? I wonder why not one of them said, hey, Jesus, would you help her? Don't you wonder? It, it, it sounds like in unison, in agreement, they said, get rid of this woman. I mean, why didn't one of them say, hey, Jesus, you've done the whole demon thing before. I think this is another good chance. Hey, Jesus, this is, I, I, think, her, I think her need's legit. Why, why didn't one disciple say something on her behalf positively? You know, there's a couple of reasons. One, it's very inappropriate for a woman to come running up to a group of men like this. Not in our culture, right? But in this culture, very, very, very taboo. And when I say this culture, folks, remember, not all things Jewish are of God, right? The Bible is very honest about its heroes. It's very honest about God's people, As a matter of fact, to me, it's one of the things that proves the truthfulness of the Bible. If this is propaganda, if this is something I'm making up to to put together a religion, I'm not reporting about how bad we are sometimes. And so it shows what the Jewish culture is like, which, by the way, it's just about like every culture on the planet. It does not have a great respect for women. Some of that has changed today, probably not enough. So there's not a great respect for women here. There, it's, it's inappropriate for this woman to be coming up and addressing these men, grabbing them by the lapel and saying, help me, help me. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a moment where it'd be like, ah, you know, and I'm looking around to see if anybody, I don't want to be associated with this. But maybe there's even a bigger thing going on because she's not just a woman. 
She's a Canaanite woman. And there is a history with the Israelites and the Canaanites. The Canaanites have for centuries been something the Israelites tripped over. They were often a a, a people group that led them into greater immorality and idolatry. And as a matter of fact, it's not just Canaanites in general. Boy, if you look at Israeli history, there's one particular Canaanite woman who was profoundly impacted their history so much that they never recovered for about 700 years. And that woman was the name Jezebel. What's Jezebel like? Well, she was so wicked, so evil, so vile, that 2,700 years later, in a land far, far away called the United States of America, we still use her name in a derogatory way. You call somebody a Jezebel, you're saying, well, you're not saying something nice, right? That's, that's who this person was. And so I, I'm, you know, first of all, it's a, it's a social taboo. It's a little bit out of the ordinary. Not, it's a way out of the ordinary for her to be approaching him then like this. Then she's a Canaanite woman. I, I mean, likely, I'm, listen, I want to stay true and holy to God, and you're not a true and holy to God person, and I'm looking at you. Hey, I'm guessing the problem you got, you got of your own doing. You probably deserve this. Man, aren't you glad you and I are not like the disciples? We're so filled with grace and mercy. We would never treat people that, that way, right? That's not going to help her. Jesus, would you get rid of her? Now, I've been saying, I've said it I don't, three or four times probably, that Jesus ignored her. But what if Jesus isn't ignoring her? What if he's just letting the story play out what if Jesus is waiting to see what she's going to do and you know what that's an inappropriate comment I just made Jesus doesn't need to wait and see what she's going to do I've got all kinds of stories in the scripture where people are approaching Jesus he knows their name he knows their faith journey he knows their status of faith at the moment he knows their problem he knows more about them than they know about them So he doesn't need to see how the story is going to play out. Which then means maybe he's letting this all happen so you can see how it plays out. He wants you to see what she does. Well, we see that he he turns to her and he says, I'm not here for you. He doesn't say it that way. He adds you know, religious language to it, theological ideas. I, I am here. I'm the Messiah. I, I minister first and foremost to the, to the people of Israel. That is a true statement. I could take time to explain that, why it was appropriate to say that. But here's the strange thing. Before we get to Matthew 15, we've already seen how generous and kind Jesus is to the non-Jew. We've already seen how open he is to the, to the non-Jew. So that, that's not, why are you saying that? You know, I wonder if Jesus is letting things really happen to engage the ideas that you and I have when we pray. Because all of us have one time wondered, <laughs> is God ignoring us? You gotten answers for the prayers this week? You know, I know my words go up. Did you hear some words come down? 
You know, maybe, maybe he's ignoring us. Now, we don't say that, right? We've, we've got ways to explain all this. You know, well, it's, it's not God's will. And God says, yes, no, and wait. And God works in mysterious ways. By the way, all those things are true. But I think sometimes we use truth statements not to understand where God is and what he might be doing in those moments. We use truth statements to cover the fact we weren't really trusting him to answer anyway. And we've got to resolve this tension of not getting an answer. So we throw a a religious statement on it. And so what? think of the things just in these three responses. Does God hear me? Does he care? Maybe God doesn't hear me because I'm not in the right people group. I'm not the right kind of person. I'm, I'm not in a class of people that, that God likes, that God would listen to. Because I, I know Jesus talks to non-Jews, and yet he throws this statement out. Which, by the way, you know, he, he throws up this ethnic barrier. You know what we would call that today, don't you? Racism. I mean, I, you know, it's Jesus' PR account, and I say, Jesus, this isn't a good look for you. Probably need to clean that up some. That's not going to go well on the news. (laughs) But he throws it out there. Now, notice what the woman's response is. She seems to completely overlook what feels and sounds like a negative response. And she just goes over and grabs him. You know what she's doing? I don't think she cares what he said. He's looking at her. (laughs) you heard my voice. They're now in conversation. So I don't care what you've said, you know, and she just throws out two words. Help me. I don't know where else to go. There's no other answer. There's nobody to call. There's nobody to talk to it about. There's no test. There's nobody, 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 no thing, no person, no thing. You and you alone are the only place I can come. Help me. And then Jesus makes the statement about bread and dogs. And does that sound nice to you? Doesn't sound nice to me. But look, look at her response. I'll be the dog at your table. That's all I've got. I have nowhere else. If, if I can only as a dog get scraps at your table, then those scraps is what I will take. Uh, you know, and maybe another better way of saying that is, you're my master. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to, nothing I have in my life comes anywhere other than from you. So from you alone, I will wait for the scraps to which Jesus finally gets to where we want him to be. <laughs> and he says, boy, your faith is great. You know, I wonder if at that point, Jesus, I want him to. I don't know that he did, but in my, in my little heart, I, I, this is kind of what I see. I, I see Jesus wink at her. I see Jesus give a little smile. And I hear him say, I knew you wouldn't quit. I just wanted them to see it. Right? That's a neat thought. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm so moved by my own words. I'm... Karen, Karen will tell you, I, I, I came down. Remember, Karen, it was like a Saturday in December. I said, I was working on my message for January. I started crying. 
<laughs> I moved myself to tears. <laughs> but you know, as I thought about what a statement that was, I knew you wouldn't quit. I realized I would. And so would you. And you have more times than you can possibly even begin to count. You would quit. You quit when you don't hear the words. You quit when you don't feel like a person good enough. You quit because you're not willing to accept his answer. You're willing him to bless your answer. You're willing to have him bless your way. And so we quit. And we quit because we weren't really planning on him being the answer anyway. Yes, I've got the answer. Now, God, anything you want to do. See, a lot of us are calling God saying, anything you want to do here, God, we're calling that dependence on God and faith on God. But the truth of the matter is we plan on going on whether God shows up or not, which means we're not really trusting God that much. We're not desperate. We're not dependent. We got other places to go and we are going to them every time. This isn't a little mistake you and I make every now and then. It's how we live life. I'm not operating from helplessness. That's horrible. I don't want to feel helpless at anything. I don't want you to think I'm helpless at anything. I'm going to avoid that look entirely. You know, I I wonder, would Jesus have been nicer if right away, when she came out and said, heal my daughter, if right away he would have answered her? Would that have been nicer? Yeah, it would have been nicer. But I tell you, as I watch this story unfold the way it does, it, it feels like to me, I don't know, I guess we'd have to ask the Canaanite woman, it feels like to me Jesus and this Canaanite woman built something. They got a story now. They built a, a story together. There's, there's something more there than just I went somewhere and I got what I needed. And, and maybe God wants you and me to experience something more than just I went to God and I got what I needed. Because we have a tendency to treat God a little bit like a vending machine, right? You know, I've, I, just like you, I've, I've stood in front of a lot of vending machines. E1. Two packs of Cheez-Its and a Pepsi. It's another story about sandwiches. <laughs> I, I, I've looked in a lot of vending machines and I've wanted a lot of things ending mach- in vending machines. You know what I've never wanted? I've never wanted a vending machine. I want the stuff in the vending machine, but I've never said, boy, I'd love to have a vending machine at my house. I wonder if maybe that's God's concern. We want E1, but we don't want him. I want what I can get from God. I want what I need from God. I want from the kind and good God what God, the kind and good God has said he has to offer. I, I, I want that. But, but do we want God? And God wants us to see and experience how wonderful it is to not just get his stuff, but to get him and to know the power and the life that is in that. And he knows because of our makeup that we're not going to ever get there unless we're 
helpless. You know, the the story in Matthew 15 is a story in which we pull out a meaning. But then we have teaching that just straight up gives us the meaning. And and a passage, as a matter of fact, if you've got your own Bible and something to write with, maybe out next to to, to Matthew 15, verse 21, you write 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Because there's a direct teaching that, that goes along with this story. And it comes from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul had gone to Jesus several times, three times to be exact, about a particular issue in his life. It was a big issue. It was a severe issue. It's one in which I believe Paul was saying, God, I could be so much more. I could be so much better. I could better serve you if you would resolve this, remove it, take care of it. We don't know what it was. Paul doesn't tell us what it was he was praying about. He just said, man, three times, three times I went through 21 days of fasting and prayer. And do you know all three times Jesus said no? You know how frustrating it is to push the button on the vending machine and it falls over against the glass? And it won't fall? That's frustrating. You imagine when we're stomping before God and it won't fall? Three times God, Jesus said no. No, no, and no. And then Paul says, you know, then Jesus finally told me, my grace is enough. You know, that's a, a, a verse that a lot of us know, maybe even can quote. My, my gra- what does that even mean, though? My grace is enough. What is grace? Most of us think of God's grace as that place where we're forgiven at the cross, that place where we come to salvation. What is our salvation? It's when we meet God at the greatest place of our helplessness. I am entirely helpless, entirely powerless. To resolve my condition before God. But then most of us leave that right there. And we go on living for God. In our own power and goodness. And Jesus is saying. Hey that moment you had. Where you trusted me for your salvation. That's how you're to live every day. In every single situation. We need to constantly be intersecting. Between my grace. And my power. Because that's what I have for you. My power. That's what I want you to experience. But you've got to live out of that helplessness. You know, folks, God's answer is yes, by the way, to your prayers. Yes. Praying about money right now, a little expensive in December. God's answer is yes. Eternal riches forever and ever and ever, forever and ever and ever and ever. You'll never know need. You'll never know lack. You'll never go to bed worried. You'll never not know how to figure it out. You will have all and more of what you need. The answer is yes. Praying about relationships? Ah, got that covered. Eternal relationships. No more tears. Never again a relationship where we frustrate, hurt, disappointment, miscommunicate. No more ever of any of that. No more tears. Wonderful, fulfilling, perfect relationship. Forever and ever and ever. Health. Doctors put you off till after the holidays. Got some tests to do. What does God say? Yes. Yes. Eternal. Eternal health. No more death. 
No more of all the stuff that leads to the body breaking down and then leads. And no more. I'm going to give you all that. Yes. God's answer to everything you're begging and pleading for right now is yes. But, but what if just for a moment, just for a moment, right before he says yes, he says, I want to build a story though real quick here. It'll just take seven out of eight verses. That's the problem though, isn't it? 70, 80 years doesn't feel like just a moment. It feels like a whole life. But that's where by faith you and I understand that the millisecond that I step into eternity, my 70, 80 years was just a moment. This is what we're going to try to understand the next couple Sundays. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, overwhelmed with my self-sufficiency. And when I understand the truth about myself, that that self-sufficiency can only be accounted by one word, arrogance and pride. God, would you forgive me? I came broken, I came humbled, and I received what you had for me at the cross, but then I picked it up and... God, I go on acting like I still can do it without you. Even when I trust you too often, I'm not really. Lord, I'm pretty sure I I pray on behalf of not just myself, but almost all of us in here. Lord, I pray you would open up our heart and mind to understand what you're doing in our lives, why you're doing it that way, and... And what can be experienced? Oh God, to get to the place of Paul and say, I don't hide my inequities anymore. I brag about them. My inadequacies, my failures, my weaknesses, that's, that's where I cling to Christ. That's where I best experience His power. Could that be true of us, O oh Lord? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me take just uh, uh, 90 seconds here and back up. Maybe I should have said this at the beginning. You know, I, I, I wasn't joking when I said a month or two ago, wham, new spiritual insight. It, it didn't happen because, you know, something fell out of the sky and hit me. Uh, I was reading this book, A Praying Life by, by Paul Miller. And um, David Allory, one of the pastors here on our staff, had read it and, and shared it with me. And I, I got a copy and began reading it. And from page one was just overwhelmed. You know, again, prayer. I mean, like, there's more books on prayer in Christian life than, than maybe any other topic in, the, in our faith. Uh, but this guy just connects some dots. And, and the, the book is not about the Canaanite woman. Uh, that's on page like 194 of 281 pages, okay? So if you've got a 281-page book and something's on page 194, that's probably not the big thing. But but how he helped me see what was going on there and what Jesus was doing there is just where all of a sudden all the dots got connected and, and where I kind of put the whole book together. And uh, I think this could be... Uh, I think this could be real encouraging to you and your prayer life. And as we're going through a season of prayer, just wanted to make this, make you aware of this. We had copies at the last service 
I'm guessing there's no luck y'all are going to get those copies. I'm guessing they gobbled them up. I actually don't know that. There, we had like 70 of these. I think we're, they're like $15. Of course, you can go to Amazon and, and maybe order your own. And we're going to have more here uh, next week. But I, I really do want to recommend this because uh, it, it might, again, might be a real encouragement to you as you go through this. This is free. Please go out there and pick this up or just use it on a PDF on your phone or computer. But uh, a 21-day uh, prayer guide as we go through this as a family, I hope you'll go out there and get that. Um, thank you guys for being here today. I, I imagine you came here today because you're hoping God help you in something. And I told you, oh, no, you don't. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But, uh, hey, come back next week and let's see how all together maybe we can tap into the help that God wants to be for you and me so much. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.